You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can reach in the seats in front of you and find Luke 2 on page 857. And as Ben has already said, let me wish you a very Merry Christmas. And I see some kids out in the congregation. Well done, kids. Way to obey your parents. I know you're probably longing to get back to your gifts, but it is good for us to be here in this place to put the worship of Jesus Christ as a priority in our lives. I also want to wish you Merry Christmas from our sister church in Romania, the Bucharest Church M28, uh, celebrated their first Christmas worship service together. As I mentioned last week, they uh, typically will not meet on the Christmas surround or the Sunday surrounding Christmas because in Bucharest everybody tends to go to their villages and their hometowns. Uh, but this year they seem to have so many people that were going to be in the city that they ended up having a worship service and. Adi, the pastor there, texted me this morning and said it was a wonderful gathering of celebrating Christ's birth as a church family. Well, Luke chapter 2 was just read for us, and we are going to study it yet once again, but I want to set the table by putting a picture up on the screen. This was uh, something that was popular back in the 1990s. Some of you who are old enough remember these. These were called the magic eye, and it seemed like everywhere you turned, at the bookstores or maybe at the malls, at the kiosks, you saw posters or, or books with these kinds of images on them. And I don't know about you, but I look at this and it just looks like a pretty combination of colors and shapes, doesn't it? And what you would see at these bookstores and at the mall kiosk is people from all walks of life standing and staring and staring and staring. But then people would begin to read the instructions in the books, or maybe the mall teenager would come over and explain to you how to change your perspective. And and what they would tell you is, you look through this image. You let your eyes loosen and relax. And before you know it, your perspective changes, and you actually can see a 3D image. And this is one of the only ones I could actually make work this week. And what you will see, if you can make this work, is a penguin with baby penguins surrounding a hole in the ice that gets down to water. It's pretty amazing. And in fact, as you loosen your eyes and you gain this perspective, you can actually look all around the picture, and it it, it is an amazing experience. But what this reminds us is that perspective is crucial. And as we study the birth of Jesus Christ that we likely have heard read many, many times, it's actually going to give us an opportunity to gain perspective on the circumstances of our lives. The big idea in your notes is that the details of the birth of Christ educate us on the big picture of the details of our own lives. And I pray that as we unpack this long sentence of four outline points, that you'll be able to walk away with the instructions you need to see the circumstances of your lives as God sees them. Let's begin with number one, even the greatest plans of man. 
even the greatest plans of man. It says in verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This puts us who are reading this in the 21st century in the historical context of the birth of Christ. And the historical context is that this was in the time of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the largest and most powerful empire in the history of humanity up to this point. And the Caesar, the the ruler of Rome at this time, was arguably the most powerful, one of the most significant world leaders of all time. And he had an amazing plan. If if you have ever led a a complicated organization, or, or maybe you've been a coach of a team that has had success, you know that keeping success for a long period of time is not easy. It's complicated. It needs and requires great plans. And so for Caesar, it was very important for him that he would be able to maintain the success of the Roman Empire, and he was able to significantly. There was a temple in Rome called the Temple of Janus. And by this time, when this decree went out, historians tell us that the Temple of Janus had their doors, its doors closed for 10 years at this point. That was significant. Because in Rome, whenever there was war, somewhere in the Roman Empire, the doors of the Temple of Janus were open. Whenever there was peace in the entire Roman Empire, the doors of the Temple of Janus were closed. They had been closed for 10 years. And history would tell us they would remain closed for an additional 30 years. This is what the Roman Empire referred to as the Pax or the Peace Romana of Rome. This was an incredible leader. Forty years of no war on this giant empire that spanned so many nations. A very, very powerful and wise leader. But he knew that things needed to be funded. Highway systems needed to be funded. Uh, The nations that were under his control needed to be appeased. And in order to do that, an amazing amount of money was required, and that's why there was this registration, because the Roman Empire needed to know how many taxes they would be able to collect. And so you can see the great plan of Caesar Augustus in verse 1. It says he decreed that a registration would take place. But then even greater, we can see the significance of the plan. He knew the different nations that were under his control, and he made sure that he strategically organized this registration. It says that all went, verse 3, to be registered, each to his own town. Remember, for the Jews, their lineage was important. It was part of their identity. Their tribal heritage was very important. And so Caesar Augustus understood that to appease the Jews, he should adjust his registration process for their culture. This was an incredible, incredible plan. And friends, we have plans that affect us in our lives, don't we? Sometimes we have plans that impact us that are organized by employers. Sometimes we have plans that affect us that are organized by by teachers and the administration. Sometimes coaches and their plans impact us. Sometimes the government and their plan impacts us. Sometimes it's your own plans. How many of you decided as you became adults that you wanted to live a life different than you did when you grew up? And you decided you were going to gain education 
an experience, to be able to provide for your kids in ways that your parents weren't able to for you. All of human life is impacted by plans and even great plans, and we see that in the opening verses of the birth of Christ. So even the greatest plans of man, number two, submit to the plans of God. Even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God. We move in this story from Augustus, from one of the greatest leaders of world history to some peasants, to a carpenter by the name of Joseph and his pregnant wife, not by him, Matthew 1 tells us, Mary. As you see this great plan of Augustus play out, you see that God's plan is actually overruling it, and this great plan of Augustus is submitting to the plan of God. Because Joseph finds his way to his town of heritage, which the text tells us is where? Bethlehem, the city of David. Certainly man plans his ways, Proverbs 16, 9 says, but it is the Lord who directs his steps. Whether we acknowledge it or not, and there are plenty of people in this world, powerful people, making great plans who would not acknowledge that their plans are submitting to God's, but they all are. And in fact, I I, I love how this text unfolds. Look at verse 11. The angels tell the shepherds, for unto you is born this day. And, And we've been studying this phrase for weeks, haven't we? The angel alludes back to Isaiah 9, 6, hundreds of years before God's plan was coming to fruition through Augustus. But not just that. It says in verse 4 and again in verse 11 that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah 5, 2. Verse 11, it says this child will be the Savior. Do you know that historians tell us that Augustus was given the title Savior of the world? And yet these angels say this child that is going to be born through the plan of Augustus is going to be not only the Savior of the world militarily, but of their sins. Verse 11, this will be the Christ Isaiah 9, 7 alludes to the anointed one. And this will all happen in verse 12 through a baby lying in a feeding trough. I love this because it reminds us that even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God. Here's some verses you can write down and study later. Job 42, 2. Oh, I love the book of Job. Such an amazing book. And you know, the book of Job is, yes, it's about suffering, but it's about the the need for recalibration of theology. See, Job lived his life like so many of us tend to live our lives, and that is we think that by living right, God will then bless us. And so we, we, we do our religion, we honor our God, we do our spiritual disciplines in the back of our mind thinking somehow we're unlocking God's favor. That's what Job was doing throughout the entire book. And then when he experienced suffering, it didn't make sense. Because what he saw with his eyes was different than what he th- thought he knew with his heart. And, and the whole book of Job is God recalibrating a, a servant of God with proper theology. And that is God works according to 
God's will, not ours. Then there's Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God. Number three, for the glory of God and the good of his people. I love this. And it's right there in the text. What, what, what is the goal and the guarantee of God's plans? If, if all of man's plans and even the greatest plans of the greatest men submit to the plans of God, then, then what is the end game of God's plan? Well, what is the end goal of God's plan? And it is found right here in the text, verse 14, glory to God. This idea of glory that we've been singing about is this as a definition. It is the visible display of the unique and unparalleled attributes of God. You know, as, as the worship team was singing that the glory of God is in this place where we're standing in the glory of God, we might think, well, well, how is that? Because typically in the Bible, when we hear about the glory of God, it's like the Shekinah cloud. It's, there, there's bright lights. When we studied as we're working through the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1, that, that John saw Jesus. I mean, he's using descriptions that, that are, are massively transcendent to what we experience. So how can we say, rightly so, that in this place we are standing in God's glory it is because this this combination of people as you look around is a unique demonstration of God's character we are not necessarily people that fit together we're not necessarily people that we would choose to be with this is not necessarily the place that we would choose to be early on a Christmas morning this is a representation of God's glory his unique and unparalleled character. As we heard last night and we've found in our Advent studies, God rarely fits neatly into our expectations and horizontal definitions, does he? I've been reflecting on this with the staff and with my family. Listen to this. If God has not done it or provided it yet, then he knows we don't need it or it isn't his time yet. Friends, this is the glory of God. If we could get to a place, and look, I understand, and I don't know exactly what each one of you are going through, but I do understand as a human being that it is difficult for us to wrap our brains around this. That I know that if we could just own this and we could live this out so that no matter what happens today, what happens Monday, what happens in 2023, it doesn't matter in our minds because we know that if it hasn't been given to us, then that means that God knows we don't need it or that it isn't his time yet. If we could own that, that would change everything, wouldn't it? But I know it's difficult and so it isn't just the end game that God has for everything that he does with his plans to bring himself glory. It's also, look at verse 14, on earth, peace. What this is, is this is the good of mankind. Ultimately, the end game of God is the good of his people. And the good of his people, as we learned last night, is his peace. Not the, the peace that the world communicates and promises, but, but, but his peace. It's a reconciliation with God and with man. 
And this is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, the good is to conform us to the image of God. And so we see, as we unpack these familiar verses of the account of the birth of Jesus Christ, that even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God, and they have as their purpose the glory of God and the good of his people. But then I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. That's page 974 in those seatback Bibles. Because there's one more phrase that finishes our sentence this morning. And that is, even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God for the glory of God and the good of his people in the fullness of his time. Listen to what Paul says as he reflects on these very event details that we've just been reading in Luke. Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. What an amazing statement. When God's perfect time was complete. And yes, we can look back with hindsight and we can see that Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, the highway systems, the, the fact that this was the Pax Romana, the, the, facts, the fact that there was religious uh, tolerance that was growing in the Roman Empire. This was the perfect time, historically speaking, for Jesus to be born, but this was the fullness of God's time. In fact, listen to this. It was perfect timing because it was his timing. Friend, remember this, and this is the gift that we give to each other through these texts on Christmas. The most important question to answer for the circumstances of your life is not when or why or what or how, but instead who. And no matter where you are in your season of life, no matter where you are in your age and experience, no matter where you are in your understanding of the scriptures and of God and of the gospel, if you can own this and get to a place that no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what you may be facing for the future, the most important question in those circumstances is not the what, the when, the why, or the how, but the who, and to see that it is God, you are in a place to experience true peace no matter what life circumstances provide. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This is the gift of perspective. And as we look at the bright colors and the different shapes that make up our life context, we have been given through the study of the birth of Jesus Christ an opportunity to gain perspective. That even the greatest plans of man submit to the plans of God for his glory and the good of his people in the fullness of his time. This is the God we worship. Are you in relationship with him? Have you surrendered to the fact that you are a sinner that cannot save yourself? Have you believed that it is this Christ and his completed work on the cross and through the resurrection from the grave that it is enough for your salvation? That if you embrace that by faith, if you turn from your sins and ask God to forgive you, and surrender the throne of your life to King Jesus, you will be saved. If you haven't done that, do that today, friend. 
And if you have, would you use these instructions and this reminder to serve as the perspective through which you look at the details of your life?